Things are starting to open up around the United States, although the COVID-19 cases are increasing in a lot of areas. But regardless, probably a lot of your stuff for the summer got canceled. So if you're a parent, that probably means camps got canceled. If you're a teenager or a college student, your experiences likely got canceled over the summer, internships, and a previous episode, I actually talked about some things that you could do over the summer. Well, this episode, I wanted to focus on things that anyone can do. These are my favorite things to do outdoors. They're great for families. They're great for adults. These are the things I grew up doing and that I love, and they are a great way to connect you to wildlife. So in this episode, if you don't know what to do with your kids, I got you covered. I got some great outdoor activities for you. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. I get email alerts about different topics, and recently this one came in my inbox. This was a study that just came out in mid-June that said COVID-19 pandemic could decimate outdoor environmental science education programs. So as I mentioned in the intro, a lot of things have been canceled this summer, but the overall COVID situation has also put at risk many of these programs as a whole, that they are not sure they're going to be able to recover from this COVID pandemic closing them forever. So this means that 11 million kids are at risk of losing access to the outdoors. A lot of these programs happen at nature centers. They happen at camps, parks, zoos. It's not necessarily your traditional classroom, or it isn't your traditional classroom. So in this episode, I'm going to go over some things that you can do yourself. But I really want you to think about these other organizations, these zoos, these nature centers that offer these kinds of programming. A lot of them do it for free. And nature is really important for all of us. I plan on doing a whole episode about this, but there is a lot of research to show that nature provides us with enormous physical benefits. Obviously, when you're in nature, you're usually walking or yeah, you're usually walking. <laughs> you could be swimming in nature too, but usually you're doing something a little bit more active. So nature definitely has physical benefits, but it also has really great mental health benefits. It definitely helps with depression and anxiety. And I first started learning about these health benefits when I went to the Children in Nature Network conference in I think 2014 or 2015, I can't remember. But this was the first time that I learned that being in nature has real consequences for kids, good consequences for kids. And this organization, this is what they, they work on. They 
really advocate for getting kids outside and they compile a bunch of studies. They have resources on their website. I'll put a link to it in the show notes about different studies that show that when kids go outside, it really helps their academic performance. It helps them pay attention better and as I mentioned before, this really helps kids who have mental health issues. So I know, for example, there's a lot of studies with ADHD and kids going outside and how they perform better after they go outside for a while. So connecting to nature is really, really important for us as human beings. And 11 million children being at risk of losing these programs is huge. As I mentioned, a lot of these programs are free, so if parents have to work and they can't do some of the activities that I talk about in this program with their kids, then the kids miss out completely. And of course, the kids who are going to suffer the most are um, those from low income. And this is really contributing to our problem in science. It's definitely happening in wildlife biology, where we have a diversity problem. It's a lot of white people, and there's definitely a people of color in this field, but if they are going to be disproportionately losing access to these programs, it is going to be harder to get these kids interested in science because they're going to lack those experiences. If you talk to any wildlife biologist, I guarantee... If you ask them why they went into this field, it will, they will say because of doing things outdoors when they were kids. I guarantee. So far, I've only met one person out of all my friends, colleagues, everyone who did not do this, but they were inspired by TV programs. So virtual encounters. So if we take away these resources from these kids, not only are they lacking the physical and mental and emotional benefits that come with nature, but we're also depriving them of the opportunities to get inspired by nature to become future scientists. It's going to be so much harder to get those kids involved if they don't have those experiences. And one of the things that I'm most concerned about is that Connecting to nature is the most important thing in conservation, in my opinion, because if you don't have these personal, up-close, emotional attachments to natural things, to elements of the natural world, you are less likely to care about it when it's being destroyed. There's research to suggest that these in-person connections to nature when you're young are really strong predictors of pro-conservation behaviors and attitudes. So as a conservationist, it is so important that we get kids out nature because that's how we're going to ensure the future of our planet, that if they grow up learning about these animals around them, seeing them, seeing these beautiful plants, when they see things that are a threat to those, they're going to be more likely to stand up for it and take action. So we have to get those kids outside. And if you are able to, I would suggest you donate to your local nature center, zoo, and support these programs so they can keep them open and keep the access high to all different types of people from all different types of backgrounds. Okay, 
So let's get into my list of my favorite outdoor activities to do. These are inspired by when I was a child. These are things that my parents used to do with me, most of them. Some of them I did later in life. Actually, the first one we're starting off with, I did later in life. So this one is uh, one of the easiest. You can do it anywhere. And this is to start a life list with birds. We started talking about this in episode eight, which is Bird Basics with ornithologist Lauren Farr. If you haven't listened to that, make sure you give it a listen. But starting a life list is so much fun. Honestly, I know it sounds so dorky, but it really is fun. And it's really great to do with birds because birds are everywhere. If you look outside your window, you're going to see birds. Other animals are much more difficult to see. I am a total mammal lover, but if I were to look outside my window, I would see squirrels, maybe a bunny. I actually saw chipmunks the other day. Super exciting. But in general, a lot of mammals come out at night or they're underground or they're flying in the sky like bats. So they are very difficult to see. But Birds are a lot easier to see. It is better. It's better if you can get some binoculars because those will help you see the birds better. But you don't need them. You can you can start without binoculars. And I have some recommendations for binoculars. I'll put the link into this post. And a bird book is great, but you don't need one. You can just download some free apps. There is eBird and Merlin Bird ID. Those are two that you can use. eBird is a citizen science project, too, so you can enter the data. And and scientists will use these data for real studies. That's how citizen science works. So eBird is a pretty classic, famous example of citizen science. And a life list is really just the number of species that you've seen in your whole entire life. Some people go crazy about this. They try to see all of the species. There was a movie made a couple of years ago, probably more than a couple of years ago now. I was still in graduate school, so maybe a decade ago now. Oh, my gosh. It was called The Big Year, and it was all about this. It was about people who travel to really remote places in the film they went to some remote islands off of Alaska just to see specific birds and this really does happen in real life I am not this crazy yeah like some people will like drive completely out of their way if there's a bird sighting in a in a state or something like if there's like a transient bird they will go out of their way to make sure that they get this on their life list like I said I'm not that crazy but I think it's super fun especially when you travel to buy a new bird book and to look at the new birds and check them off I write them down in my bird book a lot of people think this is awful they think it's like a sacred document a sacred book that should not be touched but I mark in it and I also keep a life list for my backyard, too. When I'm outside working, I keep a binoculars by me and a bird book, and I record the different species that I see in my yard. So this is super fun. If you do it with eBird, you can do it like an everyday activity. You can sit outside for 15 minutes and... 
identify all of the birds that you see or hear. Another cool thing about birds is there's two different ways to identify them. So by sight and then also by sound. And bird song, I'm just terrible at bird song, but it's a challenge. So it's fun for you. I highly recommend birding as a really easy, fun way that you can get connected to nature. I actually first started birding when I went to Kenya. It took me all the way to go to Kenya to realize how cool birds were. And not even the most obvious birds. I worked with an ornithologist there, and he really showed me that there's all these cool little birds, even like little colorful birds that you kind of miss because you're not paying attention. And then when I came back to the U.S., I remember I went to my brother's house in the Catskills and I saw all these beautiful warblers that I never would have seen before. Grab a bird book or an app and some binoculars and go birding. For the rest of these activities that I am going to talk about, you can use this really cool app. It's another citizen science app. It's called iNaturalist. You can use it for birds, too, but usually birds, it's harder to get pictures of them if they're higher in the trees. And basically what you do is you take a picture, you upload it, and there is AI built into it that helps you identify the species if you don't know it. And you don't even have to record what kind of species it is or anything. You can just upload it and leave it as something. Or you can narrow it down to plant, bird, or if you can narrow it down even more. And then once you have it posted, experts will help you identify it. So it's great for you to learn different species, and it also contributes to citizen science. iNaturalist also has another app called Seek. This one um, is super fun. You're going to want to use it for slower species or stable species like plants. And you just hover the app over the animal or the plant, and it identifies it for you right on the spot. And then you can take a picture of it, and you can also upload it to iNaturalist. But if something is moving really fast, I highly recommend you get pictures of it first because that way you won't miss it. But both of those are super cool. You can use both of those in the activities that I am going to mention. The second activity is something that my family and I called splash hikes. I loved these so much growing up. We would go to Allegheny State Park on the New York, Pennsylvania border every year, and we would go on splash hikes. What you do is you grab an old pair of sneakers and you find a creek and it's basically just taking a hike through a creek. This is fun for several reasons because you kind of like get messy. But as a kid, I would really like to look for animals. I would turn over rocks. Underwater, I would find uh, crayfish, sometimes fish too. Sometimes in the more pooled areas, I would see fish. But the crayfish, definitely. And I would bring cups with me and try to get them in the cups so that we could see them closer. It was so much fun. I always let any animal that I caught go. And then on the banks, I would look for salamanders. You, There's also usually a lot of water striders, which are super cool insects. It's just really fun to go through the creek, especially on a hot day. If it's the water's really cold, it's really refreshing. You don't know what's ahead of you. It's just a really fun experience. And we did this a couple of years ago, two years ago, I think, with my niece and nephew. And as an adult, I had so much fun. I'll post the photo of the different uh, plants and animals that we found. 
In general, you're going to want to have a creek that's more rocky. I find that those work better. And it's really great if you can have creeks that have like more of a rocky bank and then obviously areas with water. It's really fun because you can get more diversity. Like I said, you can get the animals that are really submerged in water and then you can get the animals that are in drier places on land. The third activity is something that I kind of do on a regular basis. Sometimes I forget about it. But it's go on an iNaturalist hike. And there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. I walk my dogs every day. So mine's, it's not quite like a hike, but it's on the bike path near my house. And what I do is I try to find, I set like a number for myself. So at least like one to three new things that I'm going to add to my iNaturalist observation. So it motivates me to really search the same area that I walk every single day and really look for new things. You could also do it kind of like a scavenger hunt, like perhaps try to find one species of the different taxa. So one insect, one bird, one mammal, one reptile. That could be a fun way to do it. I should actually make up a scavenger hunt sheet for that that you can check off. That would be fun to do with kids. But really, it's just fun to to yeah to see how many new things that you could see so this is really great if like I said if you walk your dog all the time or if you just want to go for walks with your kids in the same area over and over again you can make it like a game by seeing what new things that you can discover this next one you're going to want to make sure that you're with people when you do it you are in a safe area But this one is go for a night hike. And you definitely want to have the right equipment. You want to make sure you bring headlamps, flashlights. I did this in Borneo recently, last year. We, I was staying at the Kinabatangan. I was staying at, I was staying at a lodge close to the Kinabatangan River and they led night hikes at night. And it's, it's not a big hike. It's just, you actually don't even have to go for like a hike. You could go like exploring in your backyard. It doesn't have to be like a really big walk, but it's just fun to see the different biodiversity that comes out at night compared to the daytime. You're going to see completely different animals. So we went on this night hike, and it was just around this tourist lodge. We saw a civet. We saw lots of cool insects. We saw frogs. One of the times, not on our time, unfortunately, they ended the night hike, and there was a clouded leopard right there. That's super exciting. I wish I saw that, but I didn't. But yeah, get a headlamp and get some flashlights and go for a night hike and see what comes out when you are thinking about going to sleep. Speaking of nighttime, this is actually probably my absolute favorite activity that we did as kids in Allegheny State Park. Again, you're going to want to make sure that you're somewhere that you can do this. I don't recommend like doing this in the neighborhood. You might get in trouble. But this one is search for wildlife at night with a spotlight. So we would do this in Allegheny State Park. We would drive around the park with this gigantic spotlight. Allegheny is a huge park. It is the largest state park in New York. So this might be hard to do in lots of different places. I mean, you might only be able to do it in your campaign or something. But we would drive around with a spotlight, and this was especially fun for seeing mammals because you look for their eye shine that helps you spot them. 
and you see a lot of different animals that you would never see normally during the day. So we would see definitely lots of raccoons, deer, skunk, opossum. Actually, this is like what what we did all the time in Borneo. I went to Dramacot Forest and we would have drives in the early morning and we would have drives at night. And because animals are so difficult to see in the forest, you have to look for eye shine. One of the coolest things that we found was this little tiny tarsier. Tarsiers are little primates. They look like little gremlins or like an alien. <laughs> they're they're really cute though. And it's just amazing how little they are. But we spotted them from the road just using the spotlight because their eye shine was so bright. So I had so much fun in Borneo doing this. It was it was the best time. I just loved searching for wildlife. Okay, so this is one you can definitely do in your backyard. You don't need to go anywhere for and what it is, is putting up a sheet and using black lights at night to attract insects to the sheet. And it's essentially a way to catch them. Now, they're not like really completely caught because the sheet, you want to have the sheet like hanging up and they will be attracted to the black light. You can easily do this by taking a white sheet and hanging it. Uh, flat out. You want it hanging vertically and open so that the insects can land on it. And then you're going to have black lights surrounding it. At least one black light. You You might want multiple and the insects will be attracted to it. You can get bug jars or just use regular jars and drill some holes into them. Catch the insects to look at them up close. And You'd be surprised at how many cool insects there are that come out at night. I live in North Carolina right now, and we have so many cool insects. I haven't done this myself, but we get a lot of insects just turning on the white lights outside. I've had praying mantises in my front door. Those are really fun. But yeah, this is a super easy activity that you can do anywhere, really. And you'll be able to see a lot of really cool looking insects. Insects are totally underrated, totally underappreciated. And there are some really beautiful, gorgeous insects out there. Number six is something that you can also do in your backyard. You don't need any equipment at all, just a smartphone. You technically don't even need a smartphone, but it'll it'll help you with identifications. But do a BioBlitz in your backyard. A BioBlitz is a inventory of all the different species that you can find in a certain area in a certain time period. Scientists hold them all over the country. One of the more popular ones is the City Nature Challenge. I think it happens in April. And those are citywide efforts. Many citizens register on iNaturalist and they participate trying to find as many plants and animals, fungi, et cetera, that they can within their city limits. So you can do this in your backyard. Just go in your backyard and take inventory. Look for as many animals, plants, fungi as you can and upload them into iNaturalist. This is something that could be really fun to do with kids, especially as the seasons change. You can see how different plants and animals are found in different seasons or they may look different. 
Or you could just see how sampling on different days brings out different types of plants and animals. If you are sampling on a more wet day, you might find things like salamanders in your backyard or toads. Whereas if you're on a really dry day or really hot day, maybe you'll find some more insects. So that's a really fun thing that you can do in your backyard to get to know your local wildlife a lot better. Number seven is a similar thing that you can do. This is doing a bio blitz of the animals inside your house. Now, I know you probably don't want to acknowledge this, but there are animals living inside your house. In my family, whenever we saw spiders on the ceilings or the walls, we would capture them in a jar to look at them up close, and then we would actually put them back on the walls. I still live with live with spiders here inside. I don't ever kill them, and they don't do anything. And maybe you're thinking, there's really no insects in my house. There's no arthropods in my house. My house is really clean. But you might be surprised at the North Carolina Museum where I worked. Our former assistant director and Professor Rob Dunn at North Carolina State University, they had a project looking at the biodiversity of wildlife in people's homes. This study took place here in Raleigh, North Carolina. They went to 50 homes within 30 miles. And on average, every house had over 100 different types of insects. This is crazy. When I think about the insects I see around my house, I would guess I probably have like five species. See if you can go on a safari within your house and take pictures of all the different insects that you see, spiders that you see, and upload them to iNaturalist. And there's actually a specific project that you can add these data so the scientists in North Carolina State can continue to use these data to update their information. And that project is called Never Home Alone, The Wildlife of Homes. I forgot what number we're on. The next one is complementary to looking at the biodiversity of your backyard. And this one is probably my favorite because it's the type of research that I did when I worked at the museum. And this is getting a camera trap. Camera traps are triggered by heat and motion. You set them up on a tree and whenever an animal walks by, it takes its picture. They are so much fun because you just have no idea what happens in your backyard when you are sleeping. And you would be pretty amazed at all of the cool mammals that you get on your camera trap in your backyard. Here in Raleigh, North Carolina, the animals that you'll probably get are opossum, raccoons, definitely deer, gray squirrel, eastern cottontails, red fox and gray fox, coyotes. If you're in more rural areas, you might get bobcats, woodchucks, skunks, if you're close to water areas, you might get otters, chipmunks. Those are some of the mammals that you might get on your camera trap. Even if you get the common animals, it's, they're just like so much fun to watch. They do silly things. And the people that use our camera traps, we work with a lot of volunteers. They really get to know their animals well. And they just have so much fun setting them up and watching the animals. The last one will require a car trip again, and this one is visiting a local pond and exploring it. 
This was something I loved when I was little. We would do this. We would have several different lakes and ponds that we would go to. They don't have to be that special or that far away. We would go to some in really developed areas. And you can even bring nets with you to try to catch some critters. My favorite thing was to look at tadpoles. And then as they grew up to look for frogs, we would... Again, bring jars or nets with us and try to catch the frogs, look at them up close, and then, of course, release them. In some of the more sunny areas of pond, we would see snakes basking in the sun on the banks. Turtles are so much fun to find in bigger ponds. You probably won't be able to catch them, though. They'll they'll probably be in the middle and and go underwater when they see you, or at least that's what they do to me. They don't like me that much. But that is a really fun thing to do at ponds. Additionally, there are several citizen science projects that you can participate with near ponds. You can do Herp Mapper, which is similar to iNaturalist, but exclusive to reptiles and amphibians. There is one citizen science project. I'll have to look up the name or I'll put it on the show notes, but it is on dragonflies. And it's actually really cool. We did this with the teachers that we worked with as part of our program. And you identify dragonflies at uh, at a pond and dragonflies are actually migratory. Isn't that crazy that they can go all the way down to Mexico and back. This little teeny tiny dragonfly, just like the monarch butterflies do. So you go to the pond and again, you have a certain time interval and you record how many species and the number of individuals that you see from those different species at your pond. And then there is also a frog sound citizen science project. I think you have to do it at night, though. But still, that's a fun thing to do. You go to a pond and you, I think you record the frog sounds or you have to, or you have to listen to them and get to know them. And then you go to the pond and identify which species you find. I have not done that one, but it sounds fun. Okay. So those are my ideas. Those are my ideas for how to connect to nature this summer, some that you don't need anything for, some that you might need to drive a little bit or buy something for. I have created a little cheat sheet for these activities. I include the different supplies that you need. You can download it at on the podcast episode in the show notes. And I've made it to be really cute. I use this program called Canva. The teachers I worked with introduced me to it. Oh my God, I love it. It is so much fun to use. Anyway, so I made this little cheat sheet for you guys to download. And if you have any more thoughts on things that are fun to do outside that connect kids to nature, especially wildlife, let me know. You can send me a message and I'll include some of your suggestions in future podcast episodes. Thank you guys so much for listening. This week on YouTube, I posted all about Black Panthers. What are they? This is actually one of my most popular blog posts. Maybe I should do a podcast episode on it too. And I've been updating my blog, but I don't have any new posts. I've kind of been working on making some older posts better and easier to find in Google. Thank you guys. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have suggestions, show ideas, comments, questions, 
If you like this, one of the best things you can do to repay me is to please subscribe and rate and review this podcast. This makes it easier for other people to find it. I hope you have a fabulous day and be nice to each other and be nice to animals. Bye.